0: A very wonderful and warm good morning to you. It's an absolute joy and privilege to be in the house of God, with the people of God, and with the presence of God right throughout the service thus far, and we trust to the very, very end. It's a great joy and delight. Thank you for your prayers, for the meetings of today. We deeply, deeply uh, appreciate. The concentration of prayer on the ministry of the word and on the work of God in this congregation. I almost did not make it to the service this morning. My car broke down in Lurgan and uh, I had to phone for help. I hope you believe in angels because I do and I needed an angel this morning. And our sister Deborah. Uh, was just across the road from where we broke down. She was preparing to go to church and she didn't realize she was going to church in uh, the Moy and in the lifeboat this morning. So she changed her plans and she collected the two waifs on the side of the road and she got us here in time. So it's a great joy and a great privilege to be here safely in the will of God. This past week, my wife and I lost two of our long-time and long-term best friends that we've ever had. Margaret's very dear and special friend with whom she went to Bible College in 1969 in Hollywood, Eileen Jones, at the age of 78, went to be with the Lord Jesus in the early part of this week. And just yesterday, I think it was, or the day before, my dear and very, our dear and very special friend, Jim Johnson, at the age of 92, was called home to glory. He was a father to me. He was a very, very special friend. Jim and Madge had no children, but when I found Christ, he took me under his wing, and he was a great mentor, a great encouragement, a great supporter. He lifted me and laid me literally. Three times every year when I was at Bible College, I had to go and come from Edinburgh. He was there at just a moment's notice. He took me to the Larne port uh, to go to Edinburgh, and he was there waiting for me on my return every time, and each time his dear wife, Madge, was at his side. Madge went ahead of him. She has been in heaven now for about 10 years, and just uh, a few days ago, they have been wonderfully, wonderfully reunited. But Jim prayed, took me all over the country and encouraged me to give my testimony, encouraged me to preach, and he stood with me like a very stalwart friend and encourager. I thank God for him. I will never, never, never forget him. And at our 20th anniversary praise evening, I looked around and I was absolutely surprised and shocked because really he was in care. I turned around and he was sitting down there on the left-hand side with a grand and wonderful big smile on for the occasion. So the funeral is tomorrow, and I ask you to pray for that event and pray that hearts will be spoken to and challenged through the Word of God. So we're delighted to be here and to be a part of your ministry in this amazing, unique, God-honoring congregation. We appreciate your friendship and your fellowship. Just for your information, we return to Africa On the 27th of this month. We leave on the 27th and we arrive on the 28th. We'll be in Africa for two months. We have a very, very busy program uh, of ministry and travel. And uh, I'm happy to let you know that since last I was here, we have built a church, a worship center at the Garden of Hope. And it's probably one of the churches that was built in such a short space of time. It's a very excellent and a very beautiful building. It can accommodate 200 people. It will double as an assembly hall for the children at Garden of Hope. That is our school for those of you who don't know. And um, they have not only uh, laid foundations two meters deep and laid very substantial Uh, floors, built substantial walls, and a very substantial timber roof. They have done all of those things, I am saying, and they started to build one month, I mean one week before Christmas. So in approximately five to six weeks, it's a miracle, an absolute miracle. And the biggest miracle was we only had 3,000 pounds in our pocket. And we needed tens of thousands of pounds to make this happen, and God provided. We had no idea where the money would come, but our wonderful Jehovah-Jireh, he is no man's debtor and he is the provider for his work and for the building of his kingdom and indeed for the future and ongoing ministry of soul winning and building up and rescuing boys and girls and bringing them to Christ and establishing them, helping to establish them in their most holy faith. So that's a great joy and a great accomplishment. We're in the process of building also a dining hall to accommodate 200 children. And uh, the foundations have been laid two meters deep, can you believe it? And uh, quite an extensive building. The walls are built, and we're waiting actually Uh, to lay what we call a great concrete slab in order to build a second story, which will double as an accommodation block for the children. So God has been doing all of this. Nothing like this has happened before at the Garden of Hope. It's the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. God must have special purposes for the ministry there. Most all of the children at the Garden of Hope are born again, They've given their lives to Jesus. If you attended the prayer meeting there when the children are in it and you closed your eyes and you heard voices praying, you would be saying, there must be a couple of dozen elders or deacons here who have got the gift of intercession and got a great burden for prayer. But when you would open your eyes, you would see there were a bunch of children, some of whom are not even in their teens, and they would be saying, amen, answer that prayer, Lord. Bless your work, save souls! You would have thought it would be a a gathering of adults who were mature in their faith. So God is doing something, my dear brothers and sisters over there. We want you to pray. What else do we want you to do? We want you to pray. And is there anything else we'd like you to do? Yes, we want you to pray more. Please stand with us at the throne of grace and let us see together what God will do. He is planning something very exponential and wonderful. We praise His name for that. Now, let's read the Word of God, please. We're turning to the book of Isaiah and to chapter number 6. This is an awesome chapter. This is an amazing record. I feel like taking off my shoes, because we are on holy ground, as we read this amazing portion of the Word of God. A short prayer. Gracious Father, bless Your Word. Speak deeply into our hearts through Your Word. We pray that Your Word would take a hold of us, may it grip our minds and our hearts, shine light on the page. Lord, take us deeper, take us further on our journey with you. We want to see you, Lord, and we want to be in the shoes of the prophet about whom we're going to read in a moment. We want to get what he got so long ago in that momentous, historic, glorious spiritual encounter in the temple. Lord, prepare us. Prepare us now to get something from God today. May we feel a hand on our shoulder. May we feel the, the wind of another hemisphere, even heaven, blowing upon our faces and indeed stirring our hearts most deeply. Oh, blessed Jesus, stand amongst us in all your risen power. And Lord, make this hour of worship an hour of encounter, an hour of impacting meeting with God. We have come to your house today to see your face. We have come to hear your word We've come to go home different, we want to meet with God, and Lord, we want to have the stamp of eternity put upon our lives and conscience, our hearts this day. Draw near, Lord. Lord, Thou knowest how inadequate Your servant feels this morning. Thou knowest, Lord, the great need in which I stand before this congregation. Without the unction of God, without the touch of the fire of God, I'm an empty vessel. I'm just a a, a rattling symbol. I have nothing to give to the people. But Lord, I pray that you would speak to me. Give me bread for the people. Give me a word for their heart and for my own. Gracious Father, meet with us and do us good, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What do I need to do here, Stephen? Is this on? Please, just make sure. Yes, that's all. it's on. It's on. Okay. Thank you. I was born with a natural public address system, so we don't always need this. But for those who might appreciate it, we have it. We thank God. Verse number one. And we're in the book of Isaiah, and we're in chapter number six. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw also the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Now what is a seraphim? There is more than one kind or type of angel. This is a different kind of angel from the majority of those that you encounter in the Word of God. A seraphim is a burning one a being on fire, and it has got six wings. And as we read just now, they had a special purpose for those six wings. They were a type of angelic being that had a ministry very, very, very close to the Lord God Almighty. They were in his immediate vicinity, They were very close to him. That is why they had to cover their faces and their feet. And with the other wings, they used for propelling them around. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. And as I've just mentioned, with two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, And with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy! 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 Lord God Almighty, or Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, and Isaiah continues to speak, then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips who is speaking, the minister is speaking. Who is speaking? He's the man of God appointed to lead worship. To handle the word of God. To teach the people. Could it be? I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid the live coal upon my mouth, Isaiah said, And he said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away. It means at that instant, I am a man of unclean lips, and something awesome happened. He had an encounter with God. He was touched by this live coal that had been provided and he said, mine iniquity has been taken away and my sin has been purged and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, hear am I, send me." This is an awesome passage from the Word of God, I've stated that already, and this is a very remarkable man who has been in the prophetic ministry for some considerable time. He's a most gifted. And a most experienced and a very capable man in his leadership of the Lord's work. Something happened that day that never happened in his life before. He had a very, very striking meeting with God. So much so that he was never and he could never be the same again. I want to say to you today here in the house of God that we're living in a time when we need to meet with God again. We need a a fresh encounter with God. If you read through the Word of God, you come across men and women too. Who had amazing encounters, transforming encounters with God, and their lives and their direction was completely, completely changed. In fact, they discovered their destiny. When you meet with God, your life is redirected. When you meet with God, you are prepared for something very significant. When you meet with God, when God touches you, he empowers you. When God gets a hold on your life, your world changes and things begin to happen. There are many Christians who cannot say uh, definitively, and that's really the the, the, the title of my message today, a definitive moment. That was Isaiah's experience, a definitive moment. This moment defined this amazing, gifted man of God. I am saying there are some who have been on the journey with God for many, many years, and you've never had a personal encounter with God, whereby you could say, I have seen God. I have felt the hand of God on my life. God has drawn very, very close to me. He has done something for me. He has lifted me to the next level. He has come upon me. He has entered into me. He has communicated something to me that I never had before. I have a new direction. I now know my destiny. Jacob could have said after he left Peniel, Amen to that. I met with God across the brook Jabbok. I was in close contact with God, so much so that I could feel Him. We wrestled. I was resisting for many hours until He touched the hollow of my thigh. He broke my resistance. He broke my strong willed reaction and my indeed uh, uh, stubbornness. He broke me and He. Conquered me, and he made me a new person. He changed my nature. And that morning, as Jacob got up to go back to uh, his family and to his uh, helpers, he could say that um, the sun rose upon him. Not only physically, day was breaking. The sun rose on him spiritually. And he, he came into the camp, and he was limping. He was limping on his thigh. He had met with God, and God left a mark on his life that stayed with him until his dying day. God wants to put a mark on your life. God invites you to meet with him. God wants to touch your life and to change your direction and your future from this day forward. The opening verse of this chapter that we have just read, or the portion of it that we've read, we read in the, in the year that King Uzziah died. There's an amazing contrast here. Who was Uzziah? Uzziah was the king of Israel. His face had never been seen for many years, maybe five, maybe ten or more years. Why? Because he was full of corruption. He was leprous. He was dying on his feet. He was weak and sickly. He was unable to do his job because of the disease that had gripped a hold upon him. He was not particularly a good man, albeit not as bad as many of the kings of Judah. But I am saying in contrast, we read, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. High! And lift it up! And we read about him sitting on the throne. In a way, there are three thrones mentioned in this uh, short passage that we read. There was a throne upon which the leprous King Uzziah sat upon, and he accomplished very, very little during his long reign, uh, clearly. And there was the uh, majestic and the awesome throne of the great Jehovah, the awesome and the triune Godhead. And then there was a third throne, if you can accept it. There was a throne in the prophet's life that God wanted to ascend. There was a throne in his heart. God wanted to get a hold on Isaiah, God wanted to do something for Isaiah. He wanted to break that man. He wanted to cleanse the vessel. He wanted to empower the vessel and to use him in a grand and in a great way. And you know, there's a throne in every one of our lives. And for the most part, if we're honest, if we are honest with a judgment day like honesty, self is on the throne. We are stubborn. We are resisting. We are self-centered, selfish. We are out for number one. We don't like people to get in our way and we will not only push them, but we'll kick them so that they get out of our way. We have our own plans for our own lives and we don't want anybody to destroy them. And there may be something like that that went on in Isaiah's life. He had his own plans, albeit... He was a prophet and a preacher, and a gifted and good one at that, but there were reservations. There was an emptiness, there was something missing, something very major and vital missing in his life. If we had um, some kind of an inventory in this meeting this morning, and asked, if you were willing to be very, very open and honest and I were to challenge you, are you comfortable where, the, where you are with God this morning? What would your answer be? Are you in control of your life or is the Lord Jesus is in control? Do you feel a want? Do you feel an emptiness, a vacuum in your life? Is there something that concerns you? Is there something that you've been praying about for months and maybe for years and you want God to deal with it or perhaps you're trying to hide it or deny it? There is a great need in the church. There's a great need amongst the leaders of the church. Churches, I mean, throughout our land. There's a great need amongst the people of God. There is something holding back and holding up what God wants to do. And it's a costly and a painful thing to let God have his way. I want you to know that this experience that Isaiah had was devastating It was the most devastating, the most frightening. It was the most radical experience he ever, ever had. He saw the Lord. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw his train. That is his glory, his glory, his effulgent glory filling the temple swirling and swelling around and filling filling every corner so much so that isaiah could not bear to look upon it he was on his face he was on the floor flat on the floor afraid to look on god after that first glimpse i saw the lord in his majesty I saw the Lord in his holiness. I saw the Lord in his almightiness, his greatness. I saw the Lord in his great, great love and his great concern for his people and for me in particular on that occasion. He could have said. In the presence of God, one factor that greatly struck him was the holiness of God. My dear brothers and sisters, we need a a, a fresh revelation of God. We need a fresh revelation of the majesty and the holiness of the Almighty One. We need a new baptism of reverence and respect We need a new understanding of the awesomeness of God. We treat God too much, too often, like the neighbor next door. And it's abhorrent to hear a Christian, if Christian they are, talking about the man upstairs. That is not the God I know or that I worship. That kind of vulgar and that kind of uh, uh, insensitive conversation is out of place amongst the people of God. We need a new vision, a new understanding of the holiness of God. And when we get such a revelation, I say that it causes us to tremble. It causes us to quake, as it did this man of God. He saw the seraphims. There wasn't one or two. There were many, many. We're not told how many, but there was a group of them, a group of them. Even actually to see an angel, an archangel, these burning ones, these ones that were reflecting the glory of God, these ones that were living in the presence of God, and that presence of the burning presence of God that was emanating from them, even the reflection of it, as it reflected from the face of Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai, I, I tell you, it's an awesome view, it's an awesome sight. Oh, to meet with God today. Oh, for a manifestation. A new and wonderful, a gracious and glorious, an overawing and an overpowering revelation of the Almighty and the almightiness of God in this house, in this house. This is the house of God, consecrated, dedicated. It is God's house. And we need the presence of God And the awesomeness of God to be so stamped upon our minds and our hearts that that presence doesn't stay in church. It goes home with us. You feel it and you know it presently at the kitchen, at the dining room table. You know it in your lounge as you sit down and talk with your spouse and with your family. You see it and you know it when you get down on your knees beside your bed, if that is where you have your rendezvous with God, or perhaps in some other secret place, maybe not even on in your home or house anywhere. We feel, we know the presence of God, and it causes us to shed a tear. It causes us to have a tremor in our voice. It causes us sometimes to shake. When God comes, something happens. When God comes, he gets our attention. He must, he must. And this cry that went forth, and remember, it went forth from holy beings. They cried, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, Lord God of heaven's armies, The whole earth, they said, the whole earth is full of his glory. God's glory is not confined to church. God's glory is not confined to heaven. God's glory fills the whole earth. It's only because we are insensitive. It's only because we do not know how to recognize God's glory. That we have not opened the windows of our souls that we have not surrendered our soul and our whole being to God. It's for that reason we do not see, we do not feel those revelations of the glory of God that fill the whole earth. Isn't it wonderful? When revival comes, that's the season when the glory of God becomes manifest. That's the season when even the ungodly even the publican and the drunkard, even, even the gambler and the blasphemer, they cease, they cease their swearing and their oath speaking. They, 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 they sober up. Even they, even they are humbled and broken, and they feel so shameful and sinful in the presence of God. Here are the holy ones declaring the holiness of God. Isn't it an awesome scene, these burning ones? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be on fire like these seraphims, on fire for prayer and with prayer, on fire with love for God and holy things, on fire for the bringing in of the kingdom of God. Wouldn't it be awesome to be on fire in the way that these holy beings were? And in the way indeed that dear Isaiah saw it, the posts of the doors moved. Now, we're not talking about the posts, the door posts, and the lintel of a small building. We're talking about the huge uh, structures at the entrance porches of the temple. In Isaiah's day, the temple that, that Solomon built, I am assuming, I am assuming, this great structure, those, those posts, those great door posts were actually shaking, shaking. God was not destroying anything, but they moved, they moved, they moved mysteriously, mystically, they moved when the presence of God came into the place. Oh, that I had been there, and you also. The door, the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, and this is the point that I wanted well on now, then said I, woe is me. Woe is me. It's interesting to note in the previous chapter, if your Bible is open, in chapter number 5, verse number 8, we read, Woe unto them. In verse 11, Woe unto them. And in verse number 14, or verse number 18, Woe unto them. And verse number 20, and 21, and 22, Woe unto them. But in chapter 6, In this verse that we are looking at now, the prophet said, Woe unto me, woe unto me, for I am undone. He'd been out in the field preaching, evangelizing. He'd been been out in the field bringing the fear of God upon the people, out on the out on the field, preaching what we would call the gospel. And this man, Isaiah, was commonly known as the evangelical prophet, the gospel prophet. And when we see him in some of his settings in the book that bears his name, the book that he wrote, he said, he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. And the chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by his stripes or with his stripes I am healed. It was as if he was standing under the shadow of the cross. The gospel prophet. O oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, let him come and buy. And have milk and honey without money and without price. I said the gospel prophet. He was out there, out there, preaching, preaching the message. And it was stern and it was... Uh, It was very impacting, and the people were trembling at his word. Woe unto you, he said, but he turns both barrels of his big gun on his own heart, and that's what we need to do today. I say, if you are conscious of uncleanness, if you are conscious of an unsanctified heart, if you are conscious of a defective relationship with God, if there is wants and if there is uh, limitations and things of which you are not happy or pleased in your prayer life, I say you need to direct those two big barrels of the gun of God's book of truth at yourself. Woe is me, for I am undone! And I want to say to you, if you are giving way to dishonesty, if you're giving way to sexual immorality, if you're giving way to telling lies, theft, dishonesty in a variety of ways, so many different ways, dishonesty and bad language, it's it's appalling to hear actually on occasions Christians taking God's name in vain. Even using words of blasphemy. Christians use bad language. They claim to be Christians. Can you be a Christian and use bad language? Can you be a Christian and take the Lord's name in vain and not know it? You do have a conscience. You do fear God. You say you do. But how can you do such things? Do you steal? Do you gamble? Are you kind to your spouse? Are you good to your children? Are you honest at your place of work? Is there anything in your life or in your experience that God frowns upon? You say now, you're making me feel uncomfortable. Am I? Do I have to apologize? I speak to my own heart. The message I preach, it's the bar up to which I need to reach. It's the bar at which I need to live my life day by day, whether in Africa or in Banbridge. There is only one standard for the people of God. And here is the man of God uh, 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 realizing and understanding that woe is me. And I believe the tears were flowing. Tears were flowing. I can see his body trembling on the ground. Perhaps he wished he were not there, that the eyes of the scrutiny of an all-holy, glorious, awesome Jehovah did not actually consume him. I am undone. Are you undone? One of these days, the Lord Jesus is going to come back, and he'll come back in a great blaze of heavenly glory. There'll be trumpets sounding. There will be myriad hosts of angels, very many more than there were at his birth. There were but a choir or two in the vicinity of Bethlehem. But when he comes back again, there will be myriad, myriad hosts coming back at that great celebratory occasion to take his bride away, to take his bride away. I wonder, will there be a sense of undoneness in your life when that great occasion comes? Will you be ready? Will your be lamp? You, your lamps be trimmed and burning brightly? Will you be living in the conscious uh, realization of a, 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 a rightness, a right relationship with God? I know that you want to be there. You want to be there. But just in case he came before the prayer meeting this evening, wouldn't you like to be able to say, I am walking in the light as he is in the light? And far as I know, in my close, close walk with God, we are having fellowship, one with another, and that other is God. We're having fellowship, and the blood of Jesus is cleansing me and keeping me clean every conscious moment. I'm calling you to the altar at which the man of God, Isaiah, found himself the minister the pastor, the royal prophet, probably the most highly educated of all the prophets of all time. He went to the schools, the academies, and the universities in Jerusalem where the best teachers were. He was brought up with King Uzziah because he was related to him. They were cousins, according to the genealogies. But I am saying he had no words uh, to express when it came to this point. I am undone. And if I could just for a moment take you to what I've called the altar of spiritual encounter. That is where Isaiah was on this occasion. He wasn't expecting it. Sometimes God meets with us when we don't expect it or when we don't expect Him. God wants to meet with you and, you and you and you and you and you and me and you, Stephen, my brother. God wants to meet with all of us here today in His house. Do you relish that Proposition. I want you to know if it happens, if you let it happen, if you invite it to happen, you will never be the same again. If God comes to you and God gives you a revelation of himself, You will never want to lose that revelation. You will live in that consciousness of His dear and near presence for the rest of your life, whether you live until this evening or whether you live for another 50 years and more. An altar of spiritual encounter. The church needs to get God back again inside. The church needs to get God back into the prayer meetings. Many churches don't have prayer meetings. Many churches really don't have time, enough, enough time. They've got a program and it's so tight, so tight, and it's so authentic they say, our program is the best program in town or in the country. You must come to our church, you must not miss out on any part of it. How much of your program, how much of their program does the Lord take responsibility for? Is there room for God in the churches of Northern Ireland? Is God in the worship? Is God in the prayers and the praying? Is God in the fellowship and in the conversation? Is God in the pulpit? Is God behind putting a stamp upon the word that is being spoken? When we go outside the doors, is God with us in our conversation? I was in a church one time, and i not mention the denomination, but you would be shocked if I did. And I happened to be visiting, and I was in the church, and as I sat in church, some of the elders were behind me. And they were talking about the price of cattle. They were talking about the markets, the price of beef. They were talking about sales, about this and that, just, just as the pastor was in the pulpit ready to announce the opening hymn. Can you imagine talking that kind of talk? Do you think God was in their lives and in their thoughts at that moment? Absolutely not. Sometimes our, our, our conversation and what we perhaps call fellowship, it may just be a religious expression of what should be called Gossip. The presence of God. We need to get God back into his house. We need to get God into our homes and into our lives, our daily lives. Be that in the office or in the university. Be that in the shop or in the factory. We need to get God where we are. I remember the day in the story of Charles Grandison Finney, that great revivalist. I think he was the greatest revivalist, the greatest and the most used man in revival that the world that America had ever seen. He had a wonderful conversion experience. As a lawyer, he waited in his office before God for hours and hours and hours, and the Holy Ghost came down, and he was filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And that evening, he had some business. He went to a man's uh, shop to transact business simple business. As he talked with him, the man got born again. He had business in another place. He went across the town to this other shop, and as he talked with the man uh, regarding his business, that person got saved. And he went to another place and another place, and everywhere he went, people got born again. People got born again. The presence of God was with him. To some extent, that is how life is in Africa, in Kenya and uh, East Africa where we have traveled in most all of those countries. The presence of God. People don't get saved any easier there than here, but the presence of God has been mightily and majestically at work, and hearts are prepared. People want, they want, they long to be saved, long to be saved, they want to meet with God. But we must get that experience uh, firsthand into our own lives, in the house of God. Men and women, please, please, one thing I pray for every time I meet in the house of God, I believe I can say that without exception, one thing, this supreme thing I seek and I long for is the presence of God. If the presence of God is there, all is well. All is well. And if the presence of God is not there Everything is labored. Everything is flat and empty and fruitless. We can make noises and say nice things and say theological good things. But if God is not there, there's something there's something amiss. The altar of spiritual encounter. Isaiah met with God at that altar in the house of God underneath the overarching, awesome presence of God. Oh, mighty Jehovah, manifest yourself here. Mighty, awesome, holy one, manifest yourself here this morning in this house. Manifest yourself to your people. Manifest yourself to to each and all of us as you did to Isaiah long ago. We are just like him. Our needs are the same. We cry out, woe, woe, woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And let me tell you the lips are the index to the heart. Unclean lips means an unclean heart. We need cleansing for the lips. We need our mouths to be touched by the power and the fire of God. We need cleansing, deep, impacting cleansing for our hearts, absolutely. The altar of dynamic revelation. Who revealed to Isaiah his need as we have been sharing it with you this morning? Do you think it just happened to pop into his mind? The seraphims, these holy ones, were there. And they made him tremble and feel the fear of God. But it was the presence of the majestic and the awesome triune God, the Lord and the God of heaven's armies that was manifested there. That brought to him a sense of his need, a sense of his defilement. Do you want to be clean? Do you want to be clean? Has God, is God giving you a revelation of your unclean heart? A revelation of your sins like he did Isaiah? And then there was this heart-rending confession that I've just mentioned to you. I'm a man of unclean lips. You've got to be honest. You've got to come clean with God. What is the matter in your life? What is hindering blessing? What is hindering your prayers being answered? What is hindering you making progress in your spiritual life? What is causing damage to your marriage? What is making your relationship with your children acrimonious? What is it that is hindering your fellowship with some other brother or sister in this church or outside this church? What is it? It has to be clued Included in the word and in the cry, woe is me! We must confess. If Isaiah was unabashed, unashamed to be honest with God, why can't we be? Why can't we be? Do you want to get to a new place with God? Be honest with your own heart and conscience, be honest with God. If you have aught against any, confess it, ask God for grace, put it right put it right. If you have stolen but you have not made restitution, put it right. Put it right. You see, it's a lot of money. I remember Willie Honeyman telling me a story and he may have told some of you it as well. He had a mission near Cookstown and he was preaching about restitution and a man came forward and he said, I need to make restitution and it all involves me, it requires me to sell a farm of land. I owe a man a hundred thousand pounds. He sold a farm of land to pay back a hundred thousand pounds that somehow or other he had dishonestly come into the ownership of. Whatever it costs, it will be cheap. Whatever it costs, it will be worth it. It might be something very, very simple. Saying, picking up the phone and saying, this is so and so, I've wronged you. I want to apologize, it was my fault, I'm accepting responsibility, forgive me, forgive me, please forgive me. And if you want to put it in writing, do it. And I say that the gain that will be yours, the blessing that will come down on you will be exponential. It will be way more than you can ever handle, you'll be saying, I'm so glad I went through with God. I say the altar of heart-rending confession. Woe is me, for I am undone. Oh, please don't let us ever dare to think that we'll meet God in a state like that. And then the altar of deep cleansing, and I hasten to a close. The burning seraphim, the angel that was on fire, he said, he went to the altar, then flew one of the seraphims onto me, having a live coal in his hand. Whether he was holding it in his bare hands, he could do that without being burned. But he had tongues. He had tongues. So that he could take the live coal from off the altar. And remember, the altar in the Bible, anywhere it occurs, or wherever it occurs, it's always a picture of the cross. There is no cleansing apart from the cross, the cross where Jesus died. The blood he shed, the blood of atonement is the answer, the answer to our needs of cleansing. He took the live coal from off the altar with tongues, and he came over to the prophet. I wonder, did he have to tap him on the shoulder because he was afraid to look up? Tap him on the shoulder. And he looked up and he saw, he felt, he felt the heat from the live coal near his face because it was coming close to his face. What did he confess? He confessed an unclean, unclean lips. I speculated about that. Did he tell lies on occasion? Was he gossiping? Was he gossiping? If you tell lies, you need a live coal, you need the blood of Jesus to touch your lips. It mentions the mouth and the lips, both specifically in this verse. You need your mouth to be scrubbed clean by the blood of Jesus' cross. Yes, did he tell dirty jokes? It's surprising the number of Christians who try to fit in with the crowd that tell dirty stories, dirty jokes. They want people to laugh. Laugh at whom? Laugh at whom? I tell you, they're laughing at you, all right? If that is you. Did, did, did this man, was he in some way exaggerating, exaggerating about his ministry or about his life and about uh, uh, how, how gifted and how, how invaluable he was? Was he boasting? He needed cleansing. And I say where the sin is in your life, the angel of God, The angel of God wants uh, to do for you what he did for, indeed, Isaiah. He took the live coal and he pressed it against his lips. I like the little word that is used here. He laid it. He laid it. He didn't touch him only. It was a lingering touch. It was an in-depth cleansing. You need an in-depth cleansing. A cleansing that will reach From the mouth and the lips, and it will reach down, 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 right down until it gets to your heart and to the very, very inner being of your spirit and soul. Oh, can you see where I'm coming from? Don't be confessing, trying to confess things that are not relevant. Don't be trying to brush the important things that God is talking to you about to the side. Bring it out. Bring it out, I say, bring it out. Be honest with God because there's coming a day when at the judgment bar of Christ and in the presence of this God of whom we've been reading in his awesome holiness and righteousness, you will be forced to be. You will be forced to be. Bring everything out into the open. And besides, it will be written in a book anyway. So the angel said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. Oh, for that touch today of you. Oh, for that touch. I pray for you, my dear brother. I pray for you, my young believer. I pray for you, dear man. Oh, I say you need that touch, that cleansing, efficacious, powerful touch from heaven. And you'll be set on your way uh, rejoicing. Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity, Thine iniquity, doesn't say iniquities, wrongdoings. Iniquity is singular. The very source of the wrongdoing. The very source of sin. The wrong, the very heart, and the very being of wrongdoing. Thine iniquity is taken away. The Word of God says that. I say that's deep cleansing. The altar of deep cleansing. The life coal representing the Holy Ghost, was laid. It was a lingering touch. Oh, my dear friend, if you are having dealings with God, then don't be in a hurry. Let God's touch be lingering. Let him lay and apply the blood deeply, deeply, more deeply, Lord, more deeply, until I break through into a new relationship with yourself. And just winding up, that was the altar of impacting commission. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? There are some of you here today, and God wants you in His service. But because there's an unmet spiritual need in your life, God cannot call you. God cannot commission you into His service because there's something in your life that is clouding, that is undermining and hindering what God wants to do in you. Is it not amazing? Is it not very, very obvious here? As soon as this man got cleansed, as soon as he had this meeting with God, he heard this voice speaking. It was the voice of the triune God. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? It was the voice of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Whom shall I send? God is looking for men and women, looking for missionaries, looking for pastors, looking for evangelists, looking for personal workers. God wants you. But because of an unmet need, perhaps because of an unclean heart, because of defeat and defilement in your life, God cannot trust you or entrust you with what he wants you to do. So that's the call of God. And I have also tagged in here the altar of empowerment. Impacting empowerment, the anointing of God. Remember when the Holy Ghost came on the disciples in the upper room? It was twofold. It came like a rushing mighty wind, and there was a flame of fire that abode above all the disciples that were there. There was a significant number, at least 120. It was a twofold experience. It was a flame. And that flame brought cleansing. Cleansing, deep, dynamic, impacting cleansing of their hearts because they had been failing and falling down and sinning and had been bickering amongst themselves. They were deeply cleansed. And They were deeply and powerfully filled with an energy they never had before. See those people coming out of that room where they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And see Peter, who had denied his Lord three times because a little lady accused him of being a Christian, and the little lady pushed the big man down that said, I'm ready to die, go to prison. I'll never offend you. All these others might, but I will not. Peter was there and he stood on the footpath and he preached a powerful sermon. Where did that power come from? Where did that power come from? I say it came from the flame of fire that abode above their head. There was power in that flame that came in that coal from off the altar to Isaiah. God equips you. He doesn't send you out with a battery that has not been charged. He doesn't send you out in a car that has no petrol in the tank. Nowadays, as they say, no, no, uh, no power in the battery. God wants to empower you. The church needs to be filled again with the Holy Ghost and fire. The church needs to be revived and stirred. And we need to go out into the world. And do God's business. Build his kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his holiness or righteousness, and everything else you'll need will be supplied. My dear brothers and sisters, you've been very patient. I say thank you. I've been preaching to my wife's husband as well as to this congregation. I want to ask you Has God spoken to you today? Do you need to do business with God? Can you see yourself in Isaiah 6? Are you saying, by way of excusing yourself, that was for Isaiah in the Old Testament. That's not for the church today. How dare you? How dare you say such a thing? Is not this the Word of God? Is not this the Word of God? Am I not even mentioned many parallels in the New Testament? Has God spoken to you today? If God has spoken to you today and you're going to do business with God, I ask you to do this simple thing before I pray. Will you stand? Will you stand up in the meeting? You don't have to. We're in the presence of God. Thank you, my brother. Please stand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, please stand. You're being invited. The Holy Spirit through his servant is inviting you. God is calling you. Is not that a good thing? God has more for you. Just stand, please. Thank you. Anybody else? Gracious Father, put your signature, put your seal and your stamp on the Isaiah 6 chapter that we have brought to the people today. Please, Lord, put your seal and stamp We say to you today, we want to be overcomers. We want to be in the fight and we want to be fit to engage. And Lord, we want you to use us without impedance or hindrance. Lord, we want, and I know that this church has prayed earnestly and ardently for revival. And they will continue to do so, and I believe it will be one of the first churches that will receive that great visitation of God when it comes. I sincerely believe that. I've said it many times. Lord, I pray, do whatever is necessary in our lives to make the onset, the oncoming of the Holy Ghost in revival, to make it easier. Remove every hindrance. Our spirits set free. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Our lives abandoned to God and the will of God. Should you call us Lord? There are some here today, you want them. You don't want them to be successful businessmen or businesswomen. You don't want them to be living in luxurious houses. You want them to be on the front line of the spiritual Ukraine or the spiritual Israeli warfare. Oh God, in Jesus' name, may we make ourselves available and go where you send, and may there be nothing to keep us back. Now I pray for your servants, Pastor Bertie. Lord. In Jesus' name, O oh God, I pray for the anointing of God. They be upon the lives of your servants, Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for my dear brother, Pastor Stephen. May he know the unction and the mighty power of God resting visibly upon his life. I pray for my brother in his ministry of evangelism. Lord, my brother little Lord, I pray that you would fill him with the Holy Ghost and fire and give him many souls for his hire. Now bless those who have stood, Lord. May they meet with God. May they meet with God today, either in this house or in the confines and privacy of their own home. I pray for your blessing and your graciousness to continue amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated and thank you for standing. If you want to speak to me personally or to Pastor Bertie, Pastor Stephen, please don't go away. We are here to assist you. The service will proceed now with the breaking of bread. Thank you.